this is my very first podcast and I am sorry if there's a lot of background noise. I am recording this on my iPhone and in my closet. If this takes off, I will definitely be upgrading my podcast equipment to something a little more professional to provide you guys with a clearer message. Um, But in the meantime, you're going to hear um, all the little background noises, um, such as me moving when I talk, when uh, which I do. If you know me, you know I move when I talk. I talk with my hands, and um, so that will be happening in the background. But most most importantly, I'm here to serve you awesome content. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, and what has motivated me? You're probably wondering, what are we going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? on my very first podcast. Well, I'm going to share my surrogacy story because as you guys know, um, for those of you who have been following my Instagram for quite a while, I am always an advocate for sharing our stories in order to build up other people. Um, I'm also an advocate for doing that to provide resourcefulness for others. We all have something to offer this world, and when we share what we have to offer, whether that be our story, our pain point, um, something we're amazing at, a skill set that we can provide to others, that's when we can help the people around us. And so today I have been called to share my surrogacy story. Um, because if you have followed that story, I shared very candidly um, uh, how painful the ending of it was for me, and I never shared why. So today, I'm going to get into all the details about why my surrogacy story crushed me um, as someone who is super positive and overcoming. I did not anticipate the ending of the surrogacy and it truly crushed me and I know that there are other people out there going through the same thing and I feel like this is a space that's been created for us to help one another and so I'm going to share my story today in hopes of helping others in the same or similar situation. I gave birth to my very first one and only surrogate baby. Her birth story is one for the books and one I will share another day. Today, I'm here to share my surrogacy journey and what took my journey from something magical to something painful and crushing. Never in my life when I went on this journey did I ever anticipate my surrogacy journey being one that was followed by depression, sadness, ache, pain, and trembles for hope. I'm going to cry as I record this because it truly is one of so much pain for me. And this is my first time sharing my story out loud. And I'm doing this because I know that other people are going through this right now and that there needs to be, it needs to be brought to people's attention so that we can do something about it. I don't know what can be done, but I'm here to share my story in hopes that something and someone will hear this who can help and can do something.
Before I go into all the details about my journey, I want to explain to you a little bit about what it took to get to the point of which an embryo was created and transferred to my womb. A lot of people are curious about this, but how it happens doesn't really get spoken about. And I think it's important to share this piece of the story to give context to just how how many people and how much effort goes into making a baby, a, a surrogate baby, even a possibility. Before I ever insert myself into the intended parent's journey, they go through a vigorous process to create an embryo. Now, that comes with a world of pain. Usually, usually intended parents will go through a world of pain before they get to the point um, where they're resorting to surrogacy. Now, for some people, surrogacy, they use it as um, an alternative to carrying a baby for prefer- personal reasons. And um, But in my case, my family in particular had experienced many losses before they decided to use IVF and um, have a baby through surrogacy. So there was a whole journey that was had before I ever came into the picture. And knowing that makes the just um, completion of this journey so important. I'm going to take us back to... March 2020, when I first got news of the pandemic and what the coronavirus was and just how impactful it might be and that it already was. I worked in a corporate setting um, where I supported executive staff members and um, was able to to be exposed to bigger conversations that educated us on world happenings um, that then allowed us to make, you know, business decisions accordingly. Um, So I'm sitting in a corporate meeting, soaking in the news of the pandemic and the origination of the virus in China um, and I'm immediately, um, my, my brain is spinning its wheels, being concerned for the intended parents. And I brought up my concern for them immediately. And at the time, the conversations that were taking place, um, when you are a surrogate, you have to have conversations in a specific chat platform. And there are people to be included in the conversations. Um, I don't know all of the rules and regulations around this, but it was very strongly um, suggested that every conversation I have with the intended parents be had with their coordinator or my coordinator. So any conversation that I ever had with the intended parents that involved any type of concern um, or you know, update in regards to the pregnancy, I delivered in a chat platform that 
always included their coordinator. And if I ever had any concerns, I always express those privately with my case coordinator and their case coordinator and let our coordinators deliver the messages to the intended parents because I never wanted to be the source of concern. So with that being said, when the pandemic hit and the family that I had um, was growing a baby for that is from China, um, when I when I saw that it had originated in their country, there was concern. And so I started to inquire with the coordinators and make sure the intended parents were okay. And, um, you know, I was always I was always encouraged to leave it alone and to let them handle that part of the journey and that part of the conversations. Things progressed. Um, there were travel bans put in place, quarantining regulations and rules, big, big changes and big things happening left and right every week. And as we all know, um, I think we've all been directly affected by this in some way or another. And um, I had, you know, even more concern as we started progressing towards the end of my pregnancy. March was when the pandemic originally hit. The baby was due June 19th. And time was of the essence And the more meetings I sat in at work, the more I was exposed to the reality behind the devastation of this pandemic and what that would mean for us, you know, from a working standpoint and then also personally. And every single meeting, every bit of information that I received came concern for the baby and her parents. So as I neared the end of my pregnancy, I was seeing my doctor regularly and we had many conversations around what the delivery of the baby would look like. And we started these conversations about two months prior to her delivery date because of the pandemic and the travel arrangements that would be Um, have to be made in addition to the arrangements that my medical provider was making for the intended parents upon their arrival and their quarantining. My doctor was extremely sensitive and considerate of my surrogacy and had gone above and beyond to make sure that when the intended parents were here to receive their baby that they had their own um, birthing suite and that they would get to bond and be with the baby as if they had had the baby of, you know, for themselves. And that I would also be granted privacy in order to rest and recover and also see the baby upon, um, the parents permission and, and at their will. So as we're going to work, putting plans in place, for what the hospital stay will look like. I'm in constant conversation with the coordinators, expressing my doctor's concern and asking who will be picking up the baby because it got to a point where the travel bans and the the quarantining requirements were just not going to allow these parents to be here for the baby's birth. 
And so we pushed forward, um, trying to put a plan B into place. Now I was met with a lot of what felt like incredible resistance in regards to trying to put a proper plan B in place for this family and for this baby. It started with when I expressed concerns about the travels and the quarantining and who would be the caregiver for this baby if the intended parents could not be here. And I was met with, be quiet, we're handling this. Everything's okay, just have the baby. Don't worry about anything else. So I felt disregarded. I felt like I was treated like an emotional basket case when indeed I had real concerns that were not emotionally driven, they were instinctually driven. And so, you know, coming from a place as a mom and someone who who has risked everything in order to give this family life's biggest blessing, there was no way that I was willing to let that go down, um, you know, in a way that would be anything other than amazing, magical, and beautiful. So we're two weeks before the baby's born. And at this point, I had been asked several times if I would care for the baby by the intended parents and by their coordinator. At the end of my pregnancy, I was asked four separate times if I would be the caregiver for the baby. Initially, one of those times I offered. Initially, my answer was, let me think about this. And then I was met with, yes, of course, I will do that. Because these are uncertain times. And I would rather this baby be somewhere safe with someone she knows than anywhere else. And so I said yes every time. And every single time I would communicate with my coordinator that I was asked to do this, um, or that I had offered it, or had accepted, or whatever it was. And every single time I was met with, no, you cannot do that. No, you cannot do that. This was turning into something far beyond figuring out who should be the caregiver for the baby. So I pushed forward and I'm going into delivery. I am, there's many conversations being had about one, who will be the caregiver for the baby after she's born, two, who's picking up the baby, and I was just willing to do whatever I needed to do to ensure that this baby got to her parents' arms in the healthiest of manner and the safest of way. And so I tried not to get in the weeds with people and things, but it got to the point where the intended parents had asked me again for the fourth time to be the caregiver, And I was like, this is obviously their will. This is what they want done. And then the founder had stepped into our group conversations in our, in our chat platform. In addition to that, I was told to include him in all text messages and any conversations that were had in regards to, I questioned the resistance for me being the caregiver. And I was told why not, or I was, I asked why not? And when I pushed for that, which took a lot of conversations and a lot of repetitiveness on my end, I was met with um, minimal answers. And then finally, the founder 
kind of gave in at some point and said, yes, you can be the caregiver. I was also met with conversations from the founder expressing how much money would be, um, you know, paid for me to be a caregiver and encouraging me to make sure I get the most money out of the situation if I did sign up to be the caregiver because he said that some caregivers are being paid $25,000 per month to care for the these children. In other conversations with my case coordinator, I was told that babies were being picked up by um, staff members of the agency and being taken to hotels where they were renting out an entire wing of a hotel and they were all living in this hotel and sharing the care, you know, the caregiving of these. So after being met with so much resistance from the agency, I reached out to the intended parents attorney and asked, what am I allowed to do? Is this really not something I can do? Because the this is something the intended parents truly have asked me for many times. And we're being met with the answer no from the agency. And the attorney said, no, if this is something that the intended parents want, it can certainly be done. There just has to be a formality of paperwork and processes that are put in place in order to do so. And at this point, we are like two weeks from the baby being born before finding this out. The reason why this was so concerning is because when a baby is born, their emotional well-being is of the utmost importance. They can have lifelong um, negative effects on their well on their health and their mental state, um, abandonment issues and things of that sort when they grow into adults. And so if they're not with someone of familiarity, whether it be in a biological parent or a surrogate with familiar smells and sounds and, and all of, and, and comfort for them. And so there was concern from this, for this from the very beginning. So I had, you know, accepted that I was not going to be the caregiver and I was okay with that and found found reasons to be grateful that I wasn't going to be the caregiver. I pressed forward into delivery day accordingly. I checked in that morning. At that point, the caregiver was still, I still had not been told who the caregiver was or when they would be there. The hospital asked me every question from what are the parents' names to what is the baby's legal name to who will be picking up the baby to when will they be here? And I had no answers for them. Keep in mind, I had inquired about all of this information multiple times, many times, and was met with the same reply of be quiet, have the baby, we'll take care of the rest from the agency. Now I will insert this little bit of information as well because I think it's important to the story. Two weeks prior to having the baby that my doctor and I were trying to put the plans in place for all of this. And I expressed to the agency multiple times that the hospital could not be the caregiver of the baby at any point for any time. And that the baby would be put in the foster care system if she was not picked up 
within two days after birth. 48 hours. It was either 48 hours or 72 hours. I can't remember. Um, and the agency took it upon themselves to reach out to the hospital and ask them if they would care for this baby for two weeks. I was constantly met with just not understanding the whys behind things and things were not explained to me. I just knew something felt wrong. Why was the agency asking the hospital to care for the baby for two weeks? If they needed a caregiver and I was willing, why couldn't I be the caregiver for those two weeks? I just didn't understand. While being in a state of euphoria and just pure joy and accomplishment and pride, I'm also messaging the surrogacy agency in the background asking, who is the caregiver? When will they be here? I had the baby on a Friday. I was told Friday evening that the caregiver was on their way and they would be here Saturday morning. The next morning we wake and my boyfriend had been a part of the delivery with me. So we woke together and I had stayed up all night and I never left Annie's side and I treated her as if she were my own child because I know just how significant and important it is for a baby to bond when they're born. I'm going through the motions of having a baby and making sure it's loved and cared for in all the ways that babies deserve and need. And still, Saturday morning, no one is there to pick up the baby. I'm messaging again in these group conversations, who's the caregiver? When will they be here? I was told they will be there Saturday at that point. Let me rewind. Saturday morning, I was told the caregiver won't be there until Sunday morning, 9 a.m. So at this point, I had had a C-section for the first time, and I was exhausted. I don't sleep in hospitals, and I needed sleep. I was so tired from the surgery, from the labor, from the emotional just roller coaster of everything that had just happened. But I was also in a place of just happiness and again, euphoria and pride and feeling like I had accomplished what I set out to do. Saturday evening, the baby needed to be under some lights because she had a little bit of jaundice. And so the nurse recommended that I go home and get some rest. And I am again, conversating with the intended parents the entire time and keeping them completely in the loop with everything that's going on at every minute. And I text them and said, I'm going to go home and rest now. Annie is well. She's going to be under some lights. And I went home and I took a shower. And within a matter of two to three hours, no more than three hours, the intended parents messaged me and said, well, is Annie at the hospital by herself? And I said, Yes, I'm home resting. I just took a shower and they said, will you please go back and be with her? I, of course, said yes out of my dedication to making sure I completed this journey. And so not just that, but also the well-being of their baby and understanding and wanting to give the intended parents the most peace of mind because I can only partially imagine what 
they must have been going through emotionally. And so I I went back to the hospital. Again, she was under lights and they said, please go home and rest. You, you, you can't hold her anyway. So if you come back tomorrow morning, um, you know, seven in the morning, she should be done with her treatment. And then the caregivers will be here by nine. So you can spend a little bit of time with her at that point. So I said, okay. So I went home and I rested and it was my gracious boyfriend took me back to the hospital and at 7 a.m. and I sat with Annie from 7 a.m. I never let her leave my arms until the caregivers got there. 9 a.m. came and went. No caregivers. Again, I'm messaging and it's making no sense to me why they're not there. And but I was soaking up every single minute that I had with Annie because I knew that these moments would be gone before I knew it. And so I just sat still and loved her and stayed and just enjoyed every breath, every moment, every sound, every touch, everything that would soon become a memory. As I'm sitting in my in the rocking chair, peaceful with Annie, just loving every single minute. The caregiver arrives and I am trying to be okay on the inside, but who showed up scared me. And if they scared me, I know that they're going to scare Annie. And so my heart was completely shattered. It was a man. And it was, um, he was completely covered in a hazmat suit from head to foot, which I know he was just taking the precautions that the intended parents likely had given him, ordered him to take. But he showed up and he was drenched in sweat. He was frantic. And everything that was peaceful and calm all of a sudden felt unsafe and rushed. I was concerned for Annie immediately. When he came in rushed, At this point, the hospital staff had seen me interacting with Annie for three days. And they knew that I was mentally well and processing things good. I hadn't cried yet. I was just really proud and happy. The minute I saw this person, I lost it. I couldn't. I couldn't be okay with giving the baby to this person to be in their care when I knew that what they were going to provide to this baby was nowhere near what she deserved and I wouldn't be okay handing my baby over to this person. So I know the intended parents wouldn't be okay handing the baby over to this person. So he comes in and there were all these plans in place for the baby to come and visit my children at my house and for them to meet her. 
the doctors had scheduled for the baby to be seen the next morning, Monday morning, um, because she had some bruising on her head from where her neck was turned the wrong way, and we kept trying to push her out, and so they wanted to have her examined that next morning. They expressed to this gentleman that this had to happen, and he said, I understand I'll make sure she goes. I'll make sure that we stop by your home this evening for your girls to meet Annie. Because I told him how important that was to me and my children's well-being. Because they had gone on this entire journey with me. And the gentleman showed up in an RV to pick up Annie. And his main concern was that he needed to get to the RV park that evening that was over an hour away or about an hour away. And that he wasn't going to be able to do so if he didn't rush and get the paperwork done right now. Seeing him so frantic and so rushed concerned me so much for Annie's well-being because Annie's well-being was not number one. It was his agenda that was number one. And I was immediately struck with fear and sadness when the intended parents when we first started this journey they had visited me for their Chinese New Year and I was about halfway through the pregnancy and this translator for the agency had come out and um, was you know was there to help us communicate with each other and this was the person who also showed up as the caregiver for the baby And from what I understand, the caregiver actually ended up being his mother. You have to remember the intended parents were not personally connected with these people in any way. The agency had resorted to recruiting their own team members to be caregivers for this baby. Their own team members and their team members' family. And in addition to that, the... Intended parents had invested in a nanny to assist them. So from the time that he got there to the time that I left the hospital was about 30 minutes. And as we're sitting there comfortably and quietly, calmly, and I see him come in, I was not okay with giving this baby to this frantic person in this really rushed state of mind, not to mention the disregard for myself that I felt in the room, you had to have been there to understand. He was so frantic that the medical team had him sit down. He was becoming very aggressive with me in conversation. I said it's really important that I started was sobbing at that point. I was emotional when I saw him and was not okay with the way that things were happening and was expressing that. And he was sighing and just, <sighs> I understand, but we have to leave and da, 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 da. And it was just so unprofessional. It was, it was not what the intended parents would have ever been okay with. If they knew their money had been spent and invested on this quality of service, they would be largely disappointed. They never would have let their baby go with this 
with this gentleman and these other two caregivers. So the hospital staff sat him down and brought us to a point where we could communicate cordially and he made empty promises of getting the baby to her prenatal visit on Monday morning and promises that he would stop by for my children to meet her. Then I, I knew when I left the hospital, it wasn't going to happen. I just knew in my gut that he was lying. And I sobbed my way to my boyfriend's truck. He came and picked me up. And I had to compose myself because he had his children in the car. And so I had to compose myself and keep myself together. And once I got home, I just came apart. It gave my children the biggest of hugs and answered their questions the best that I could. I told them that Annie may or may not come the next morning. She never came. She never went to her pediatric appointment. And she was rushed back to Los Angeles in an RV. Where she's been given care. Been providing. Been taken care of by the translator and his mother. And the nanny. When all of this came to an end, I was just constantly hurt and broken over the fact that Annie couldn't be with someone safe and familiar. It still breaks my heart when I think about it. The thing that really broke my heart was trying to imagine her not having my smell as she's buckled down in a car seat for hours in an RV rushing back to California. I just imagined her little cry for help and to be with someone she knew and knew that she couldn't have that and it broke my heart. As I was processing everything that had happened, I was just constantly met with so much, not just personal hurt, but I know that this there's a lot more to this that's wrong. I felt like greed was here, and I was angry. Angry that a business's greed got in the way of this baby having the most amazing life. As Annie grows older, I'll forever look back and remember this time. I'll see the relationships that develop in her life that come and go. And I'll know that this was a big part of whether those relationships last or don't last. And I'll have forever guilt about. Her emotional well-being. 
as you can tell, I'm still healing from the traumatic events that took place. And I still fight daily with the emotional turmoil from having a baby and not getting to see her be in her parents' arms. It's been two months and she's still in the caregiver's hands and they're making $25,000 a month to care for this baby, not to mention what the agency's making from it. And her life is being used to make money. And there is something so wrong about that. I don't have the words because I'm emotional. The story and this experience brings me to my knees. And emotionally is not one that I have fully recovered from yet. But in an effort to heal from this I'm sharing my story here hopefully someone somewhere hears this who can do something and help us to make things right and if you know of someone who is a surrogate please share this with them so that they can prepare themselves If you know of anyone who could benefit from hearing this in any way, please share it with them. Our voices are meant to be heard. And when we go through hardship, it's meant to be, it's meant to be shared so that we can relate with one another and come together in our pains and our sorrows and lift each other up out of the, out of the hard places together. So if I can be a light in any way, if this story brings light in any way, I'm happy to have shared it here today. Thank you for listening to my story. I look forward to many days of healing and for the day that Annie gets to meet her parents.